In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I've often thought that it's one of the great ironies of Christian history that St. Thomas, possibly the most doggedly literal-minded of the apostles, should have been celebrated in the early church by one of the great early Christian works of fantasy fiction. The Acts of Thomas, written in the fourth century probably, describes St. Thomas's mission to India and describes it appropriately in rather Arabian Nights terms. But it begins with a scene which I guess will awake a few echoes in many clerical hearts in this cathedral. The apostles are gathered after the resurrection, deciding which parts of the world they are going to evangelize. And Thomas says, anywhere but India. I wouldn't like to speculate on the reactions of those to be ordained today on the news that they were going to Shrewsbury? Really? Stepney? Where? Huntington? Surely not Southampton. But the Lord in the Acts of Thomas has his way as he rather tends to do putting us in places we hadn't expected, with callings and responsibilities we'd never quite have believed ourselves capable of carrying. But Thomas reminds us that for us to be heirs of the apostles in the church's life at large and in the Episcopal ministry in a very special sense is for us to inherit the full range of apostolic gifting and apostolic boneheadedness. The apostles are, like us, a very mixed bunch. Not only the contemplative intensity of the beloved disciple, but the recklessness of Peter and the literal mindedness and gloom of Thomas. Perhaps those early Christians felt that his record needed a bit of cheering up, or even that he needed a bit of cheering up by a trip to the Far East. Well, we'll come back to St. Thomas in the Far East in a moment. But let's stay just for a while with the disciples after the resurrection in the upper room. The disciples who share that common human reluctance to believe good news in its simplicity. When that good news is so overwhelming and so transforming that we can't quite fit it into our narrow hearts and push it away, finding any number of excuses to do so. When the first women come to share the news of the resurrection 
with the apostles. Then, so St. Luke tells us, they dismissed it as just one of those women's things. But St. Thomas goes a stage further. St. Thomas doesn't even believe his fellow apostles and demands more proof and more certainty. What is it in each case that the apostles and Thomas are not seeing and not receiving? The 10 apostles first, and then Thomas himself, can't believe the resurrection because they can't quite be free enough to see how deeply those proclaiming the resurrection have been transfigured and restored and enabled by it. They can't see behind the surface to that deep turning around of our whole human identity, which is what happens when we receive the good news of the resurrection. The Ten Apostles can't believe it in the women who tell the story. Thomas can't believe it with his fellow apostles. The Ten Apostles know or think they know how much reliance to place on women's stories. Thomas knows his fellow apostles well enough to be very skeptical about their transformation. In other words, neither the Ten Apostles nor Thomas at the beginning trusts the fact of transfiguration in the lives of others. And maybe that is what Jesus is saying to Thomas in the gospel we heard today. You have not seen me, but you have believed, he says to us. Thomas has had to have the extra top up to convince him. But blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Blessed are those who have seen the risen Christ in the lives and faces of Christ's ambassadors and have trusted. Blessed are those who have seen past the appearances into the depths, have seen that the world has changed in people they thought they knew, and because of that, have trusted. So there is a first thought about the apostolic ministry of the bishop. Somebody who draws out that transformation, who speaks of it and shares it with others, isn't part of the bishop's job to be able to look around at the assembly of the body of Christ and to say, look, there is the transformation of the risen Christ. Look, there it is. You didn't expect it there or there, neither did I, but there it is, and it is to be trusted. Your task as bishops, dear sisters, is to build up that network of deep, joyful trust, showing Christ here and there.
showing the Christ in one to the Christ in another, building the trust that can come only from that recognition of the Christ at work in the face and the life of the other. And it's in that joyful recognition of the face of Christ and the reality of the resurrection in the life of the other, it's on that rock that the church's true unity is built up, the unity which you are to serve, Dagmar, Joanne, Debbie, and Sarah. You are building up that fellowship of trust and recognition unveiling Christ among Christ's people. Building up. That's the metaphor we heard in the epistle this morning. And that actually relates to another episode in the Acts of Thomas. I won't apologize for the archeological excursus in this sermon. It does have some relevance. When St. Thomas finally arrives in India, the local king discovers that he is a carpenter and an architect of some skill, or so Thomas claims. Can you build royal palaces, says King Gundaphorus. Of course I can, says Thomas, like none you've ever seen. So King Gundaphorus in the time-honored fashion of people faced with speculative builders, pours money into this unlikely project. Thomas promptly goes away and gives the money to the poor. After a couple of months, King Ardaphorus, in the time-honored fashion of people paying speculative builders, asks what exactly is happening to his money, and Thomas says he'd like a bit more, please. Once again, the king subsidizes him lavishly, and Thomas goes away and spends still more money on the poor. Finally, King Gandaphorus, in the time-honored fashion of people working with speculative builders, says, isn't it time I saw some result from all this outlay? And Thomas introduces him to all the poor people whose lives he has transformed with the king's unwitting generosity. The king is not terribly impressed with this and throws Thomas into prison and threatens him with a hideous death. I won't go into the details, but suffice it to say that as a result of various dreams and miracles and resurrections, the king learns his mistake. He has a vision of the fantastically elaborate palace prepared for him and his fellow citizens in heaven by Thomas's generosity on his behalf. And he is baptized and his whole household with him. It's a wonderful story about the building that apostles do. The apostle not only builds up the life of the poor and the needy in the community he's in. The apostle also miraculously transforms the selfishness and ambition of the king 
into something different, transforms it into a project that will be a home for all. I did warn you it was a rather Arabian Nights story, but you'll see its pertinence. The building you're going to be doing as bishops is that sort of building. Not only the building up of the lives and capacities of individuals, not only the nourishment of the life of Christ's body, but also building space where people discover that they are capable of more than they knew. Building the space where even the reluctant unbeliever like King Gundaphorus will recognize that there is space too for him. Building that place where people grow and give as they're able to. Grow and give. That's the community you live in and from and work to serve. Back to trust. Your apostolic job is building that community of trust where people grow and where people give. Trusting, growing, giving the apostolic church in its essence. And you do that by that elusive, difficult, deeply demanding task of unveiling Christ for each other in the community. Unveiling the Christ that sometimes you don't want to see, that another might, want to, might not want to see. Unveiling the truth of the resurrection at work. Saying to one part of the body of Christ, look, there is Christ in those you are in tension with and dispute with. Look, there is the resurrection. Look, there is the reality that changes everything. And your ministry in the church is so often that ministry of making Christ-like sense of one bit of the church to another. Not a static unity, a unity inherited, boxed, parceled up and delivered, but a unity always reconstructing itself in that difficult recognition Yes, there is tension. Yes, there is struggle. Yes, there is challenge here. But yes, there is Christ here. Yes, there is resurrection. In sharing and showing, the Christian heart and the Christ-like face of persons and groups in the church to each other, you are building that house where God's love and God's transfiguring grace become visible, become at home. You are building, to use that wonderful phrase of a great charity, a habitat for humanity, a habitat for new humanity, trusting, growing, giving. May God give you the freedom 
to see the Christian heart and Christ-like face wherever you turn. May God give you the clarity and the courage to show that to others. May God give you the patience and the strength to go on building, to go on spending the resources of your own life and the life of the church itself on those who most need it, who most need a habitat for humanity. And may it be said of you, blessed are those who have seen the risen Christ in each other, who have seen it in each other's joy and life, who have seen and believed and made others believe.